Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are here to recap the Titans' week one victory over the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football. We will then preview the Titans' second game of the 2020 season, which will be their home opener at Nissan Stadium against the also 1-0 Jacksonville Jaguars. We've got a lot to get to today. Uh, First time this season that we'll get to recap a game and and have a bit of an idea of, of maybe sort of who this Titans team is or at least what certain personnel packages look like. But before we get into, you know, we're going to talk about Goskowski. We're going to talk about, you know, how much this win really means considering it was a pretty sloppy one. Uh, we're going to get into all of that. But there is no denying, and I, I knew this last night watching the game, there is no denying what our lead topic needs to be. Will, I know you are so excited about this one. Because your boy, Corey Davis, caught seven passes for over 100 yards last night. And as I wrote in my postgame column, as I said on Twitter, maybe like the lone highlight or bright spot in what was a very messy game for the Titans. He was exceptional in last night's game. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say I told you so, but I've basically been telling y'all this forever. He was great. Like, this is Corey Davis, by the way. Like, this is Corey Davis without turf toe. This is Corey Davis when you give him volume, making sideline catches, making stiff arms out of bounds, like doing the hard stuff, catching, you know, between two guys, hitting him at the same time. That That's what Corey Davis looks like when he's healthy. So this is, you know, songs are a little bit better. The sun's shining a little bit brighter. <laughs> flowers smell better right now. Like, this is Nirvana for me. So <laughs> I am I am fully basking in the Corey Davis, you know, happy hour that I'm getting right now. And I hope it continues. I just hope it doesn't cost the Titans like $16 million. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I was uh, frantically searching for my uh, for some receipts because I know I messaged you guys at one point, possibly like a month ago, and I also messaged one of my friends and I was like, Corey Davis might have a sneaky big season, like a thousand yards. And we're far from that, but 
it's very clear he was probably hampered by an injury uh, last year by that toe injury. And if yesterday's performance uh, is any indication, that was definitely an issue that really did bother him. And he came out and he looked like the Titans' number one receiver, which for him probably just feels so good. Not that he would feel like he's competing with A.J. Brown, but we've heard so many stories. Oh, A.J. Brown is the next star receiver. He's the Titans' number one. And then Corey Davis comes in and just owns the Broncos cornerbacks all night. And that just had to feel so good for him. Yeah, I mean, he played great. And what I noticed more about him than anything else is he was wide open every every time that Tannehill threw it to him outside of uh, that one contested catch that initially was called incomplete and was overturned and, and came back to being a catch. Uh, you know, I, I was I went on a Bucks podcast earlier today, and, and he asked, you know, what sort of what was my good takeaway from the week for the Titans, and it was Corey Davis. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, you can never have too many weapons in the NFL, and and we're going to talk about how bad AJ Brown was last night. We're going to get to that, um, but when that happens, you got to have someone else to go to that's not a specialist. Uh, like an Adam Humphreys or a Johnny Smith. Uh, and, and he proved last night what he can be. Now, this is the standard moving forward. We know what this guy can be, right? Well, you said it. This is Corey Davis. It's at, le- it's at least his potential when he's not hurt, when you know the game script is going in his direction. That's what should be expected from Corey Davis. Not... A blocking tight end, not a glorified blocking tight end. Okay, guys? So, I am more than willing to praise Corey Davis. I say, I, I, all I can do is take what is there. I can't judge people on what someone argues their potential to be in a different system. I can judge what's there. And what was there last night? Someone who's capable of really helping this Titans team take the next level. But it's got to keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's always been about consistency with him, right? And staying healthy. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a question of whether the talent is actually there. It's just actually, you know, getting rid of some of the drops that plagued him a little earlier in his career. Uh, staying healthy, which he j- just hasn't been the case uh, for the duration of his career. Uh, and if he, if he could just string a couple of these performances together, because we've seen him have these of blow up games before it, it happened against the Falcons last year against the Eagles two years ago. We've seen it happen before, but we've never really seen him do it consistently and actually become that, that alpha wide receiver that we just haven't seen at out of him. So it'd be awesome to see, especially uh, if AJ Brown rounds back into his rookie year form. Yeah, and, and I don't want to get too far ahead of us or whatever conversation we're going to talk about, but it's good to know that if you need another guy to have 100 yards, you've got one. Like, it, it's like like you said, it's never been a, co- a question of, you know, can he do it? It's more of a question of will he get the volume? Is he the guy they're going to turn to, or are they going to turn to John U. Smith? Or is it going to be Adam Humphreys? Are they going to try to hit deep shots to Khalif Raymond? Or are they going to overload Derrick Henry? Like, He's never seemed like, okay, if the passing option's not working this way, we're going to turn this way. And now it seems like that might be the case. And it goes back to what Tannehill said in the preseason, or I guess the offseason, 
but where he said this is the first time he really got to work with Corey Davis because he didn't work with the starters when he was in camp last year and Corey Davis was having a phenomenal camp. Then Corey Davis gets hurt. Tannehill still spends time with A.J. Brown, who's working his way into the lineup, so they have good chemistry. And then, you know, it, by the time Tannehill got back to working with the ones, we were six games into the season, and he just went to the guy who was, you know, amazing after the catch in A.J. Brown, and that's, I mean, it didn't go wrong for him, so why stop? So he's never had to develop that chemistry with somebody other than A.J. Brown, and it's good to know that if he needs to pull it out, he can with Corey Davis. So I look at this as, uh, again, we'll get to more macro view later, but this is just another thing that this offense could do that it we didn't know that it could do coming into the season. Last thing before we get into sort of talking about the, the, the really big stuff from last night, the kicker, sort of the meaning of the game itself. I do want to hit on A.J. Brown because you mentioned uh, the fact that he looked like a rookie. And I also mentioned this on, on Buck's podcast, the fact that I said that exact same thing. You know, we talked all off season about this guy needs to take the next level in year two, take the next step in year two, get to the next level. Uh, and who the person I saw last night was rookie A.J. Brown. The guy who, against softer coverage and less talented defensive backs, will abuse your defense and make your life miserable. But against the A.J. Boyes of the world, the Marshawn Lattimores of the world, Marcus Peters, guys like that, he struggles because he struggles with physicality. Not physicality with the ball in his hands, physicality until the ball is in his hands, right? The first third down of the game is a catch that a premier NFL wide receiver needs to be making, and he didn't make it. A contested catch against A.J. Boye on third down, and I want to say five or seven. I know it was an odd number. Uh, those are catches he's got to make. Those are plays he's got to make. Will, you said that you went back and watched the game again today, and he looked like he was you know, running in molasses. I mean, uh, it's certainly not a problem. I mean, let's not act like you – know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm – very concerned about A.J. Brown. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, at least from what we saw last night, I don't know that there's very much improvement happening within him. No, judging by last night's game, no. And, you know, we've always had that knock on him that against the top-tier cornerbacks, he just he didn't produce. He didn't seem like a guy who could beat them consistently. And what's concerning is that Boye left this game rather early and AJ Brown didn't really take over. It was still Corey Davis doing the damage. And I agree with Will. I, I he looked slow and he it's it's happened at times uh in the past. It happened even in his rookie season where he just looks really I, I don't know, it's like he's running in quicksand on a lot of these breaking routes, which is surprising because so, sometimes his routes are fantastic. So it's really weird that there's that there's an inconsistency there, and I don't know what the issue is. I'm not concerned, uh, especially because I also saw Derrick Henry looking really slow. So maybe there's something there. There's some correlation, uh, maybe in the offseason conditioning program or, or just that Denver thin air. Like It could have been something like that uh, that was the cause of it. But thankfully— other players stepped up, and uh, they were able to pick A.J. Brown up, who I think will be able to get it together uh, probably starting next week against Jacksonville. 
Yeah, and I think we always knew that this was going to be an issue coming into the game, that having a game that's essentially went up until 1 o'clock in Tennessee time, 2 o'clock your time, Matias, but just for the Titans' sake, I'm talking about in Central time, it you know went past midnight. You've got guys traveling across the country into a place that's notorious for being hard on cardio for pe- for opposing teams in the early season. They're 18-2 and two in their last 20 years before last night in their home opener. So that in and of itself is hard. Then adding on top of that, there's no preseason game. So these guys have no conditioning for hitting, you know, it, it, it's such a different thing to go and practice and work and take three steps and get water and do all that. than to have to actually like play a full 60 minute game in altitude after you got off a plane the day before sleeping in a different bed. Like it's just a whole different thing. So, you know, I was hoping that we would we would see the game and you'd see A.J. Brown and he would just out physical people. The team would be so physical that it would sort of even the odds. But in reality, I mean, the Titans looked far worse conditioned. I mean, it, it looked like they I mean, and again, they're world class athletes. This this is not me saying that they are, are in bad shape in general, but it I mean, it looked like they were not prepared for that. Like, you know, they were clearly out of breath on the first and second drives, both sides of the ball, you know, it it caused frustration in the team. It caused guys to, you know, quit early, very non variable like qualities in this team. You know, the things that they have built on and become and the identity they have, they weren't able to do because even guys like Derek Henry were just asked. And I mean, it made everybody worse. So, you know, you hope that that gets fixed in the upcoming weeks, but it was very evident that it was a problem early and a team, you know, like the Titans who run the ball so effectively in a league where that was what was driving most offenses around the NFL was the ability to run the ball and move it and abuse teams that can't tackle. Well, I mean, the Titans seemed behind the eight ball. It it was hard to watch. And, And that's a good transition into talking about, the game as a whole. And as we do that, I want to thank everyone who uh, participated in our survey that we ran, because that's going to give us some valuable information on uh, how we can improve this podcast and ultimately make it the best possible product for all of you. The winner of the free item from our shop has been emailed. So uh, if you're listening to this and you're one of those who did the survey, check your email uh, because one of you uh, won and was sent an email. But as we talk about what this game sort of was as a whole and what it meant as a whole, I wrote this and I've tweeted it and I've said it to several people. The word I would use to describe this game was clunky. That's what this was, particularly on offense where there was just no real flow to the play action at all it all looked clunky I mean guys were kind of running into each other Uh, you know the pass protection wasn't horrible but there were times where the offensive line looked like it was getting a little overwhelmed with with Bradley Chubb and and Jarrell Casey and those guys Uh, and then defensively it was kind of all over the place I think they were hurting by losing a Dory Jackson obviously the uh, the uh, the, uh, Rashawn Evans' ejection was not helpful. Uh, but especially in the first half, they were struggling to keep guys like Noah Fant in check. Melvin Gordon ripped off a big run in the second half. Um, so, 
before we get to silver linings, and we're we're going to talk about kicker specifically in a second. But before we get to kicker, before we get to silver linings, if you don't look at the final score, you're probably not very happy with where the Titans were last night. In terms of you mean in terms of like the overall level of yeah, play, if you don't right? if you, if you just watch that game and then don't look at the score, you're probably not happy if you're the Titans. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think that's true. There aren't too many like standout performances. Uh, I was a little uh, I wasn't totally sold on a lot of the play calls by Arthur Smith. Uh, I thought some of the defensive play calls also re- really I didn't love. Uh, we're still dropping a lot of guys into coverage who shouldn't be dropping into c- coverage, but I mean that—that's a battle we'll we'll never be able to win. That's just that's just going to happen. Uh, so I won't I won't harp on that too much. But yeah, I mean the running game really struggled. I guess it was expected because every time we play the Broncos, they just kind of have our number. They have Derrick Henry's number, uh, and, and the offensive line just wasn't getting a lot of push, and Henry wasn't really helping them. He was falling on first contact. A lot of the time, but he also didn't have a lot of room to run. I thought the pass blocking wasn't good. It, it was not good. They were getting a, a lot of pressure on Tannehill, and Tannehill himself wasn't particularly sharp. But I thought he played well overall. Like he was moving the chains when when he was getting into rhythm, uh, especially to Humphreys and Davis. So I, I thought. I mean, he definitely did enough to win. And then in terms of the defense, I don't know. It was it was weird. Like losing Rashawn Evans in the first five minutes of the game or whatever it was, what was a pretty big blow because he's like the quarterback of the defense and it's he's just such a key piece, especially when you're bringing in Will Compton, who has been in camp for what a week at most. It's just it really throws everything in a flux. And then you add that Adoree Jackson was already out. Vic Beasley was already out. You know, the cards were kind of stacked against them, but the fact that they only gave up 14 points is actually kind of, kind of a miracle. I don't, I don't I don't really know what happened to the Broncos' offense in the second half. They totally went away from Noah Fant for some reason, who was absolutely destroying us. We, we seemed like we couldn't cover him at all. So I think the Titans got a little bit lucky in this one, but at the same time, which we'll talk about later, they also should have had 10 more points in this game. So very weird very weird game overall. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's was my immediate reaction when Luke said, if you didn't watch this game and you like, or if you didn't look at the score and you just watch this game, you wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be happy with the kicker. And we can talk about that in a second, but if he, you know, let's just say he's average, that's seven or sorry, let's do. Yeah. Seven. That's seven Seven, more points. Yeah. So like two out of three field goals and the extra point, that's seven points. I don't know. Like, it felt like we were nine better or nine more points better than that team last night. That, and we can discuss this, I guess, at a different time if y'all want to. But I, we all saw different things from Jadavian Clowney in the defense because I thought Jadavian Clowney looked great. Y'all did not have that same impression. Uh, I don't think he looked great because he touched Luke, uh, Drew Locke down on the ground. I think he looked great because he was constantly – in Drew Locke's face, making him throw the ball away. And so is Harold Landry. But, you know, it's like sacks well, are king and like that. I, I get that. I, I didn't but. think he looked bad. I mean, that, that was mostly a tongue-in-cheek comment that I made to you before we started about how, well, I don't think he looked good just because he, you know, touched Drew Locke down. 
what I will say is, you know, I remember back in the AFC Championship game when uh, Patrick Mahomes would leave the pocket and you'd have, like, Kamale Correa giving chase to him. And my, my and even Harold Landry, because this just isn't a strength of his, uh, you think to yourself, oh, dear, this is going to be a disaster for the Titans. Um, but last night, when I would see Jadeveon Clowney chasing Drew Locke, all, an athletic quarterback like Mahomes, I would think to myself, oh, dear, Drew Locke is about to get hurt. And I think that's the clowny effect is, you know, he, he doesn't have the greatest bend in the world. His sack numbers aren't going to wow you. But he's just so fast and athletic, and he plays with such a high motor that you're going to get those effort plays. And like you said, well, he's in their face, and he's going to make life tough for them. Yeah, like, I guess I guess that's kind of what I was trying to say is, you know, when you look at that, the game, like, it depends on what you watched because you can be incredibly, it's not even disappointed is the right word, but underwhelmed, I guess, by the defensive backs just because outside of Vaccaro and uh, Byard, the, there wasn't much going on that worked and the linebackers were worse than the defensive backs. So, you know, that, that past that first level of defense was not encouraging, but you know, you see guys like Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry and Javian Clowney who all did good things. And it's like, okay, if you squint and like you put the context of maybe everybody's just out of shape for this game and they'll be better the next game, you know, it, you can walk away somewhat impressed, but it, it is a little bit disappointing that, the biggest, you know, the biggest names really didn't do much. Like, I didn't think A.J. Brown had a good game like we just talked about. I didn't think Derrick Henry played particularly well. I thought Tannehill did okay. I think, the, you know, I think he got bailed out on the interception call. But at the same time, I think he also had, like, two killer drops from his receivers on third downs that would have moved the chains. So, you know, it, th- there were ups and downs in this game. And I, I'm somewhat happy about what I saw some places but yeah like this has there'll be a six win team and not a ten win team I think I I really like Clowney I I thought given how how uh how short of a time ago that he came in given how many you know the the amount of practice reps that he's gotten in for him to come in to Denver play that many snaps and be that effective is was was insane to me. It just shows uh, the level of athlete that he is uh, and his actual commitment to his body and actually staying in shape during all this, during the pandemic, while he's waiting for the right offer to come in. And I was happy. Like, I don't, I, something you said about his effort, I feel like that's been a knock on him at times in the past that he's kind of a low-motor guy. But... No, that I did not get that impression at all. And the thing I love most about him is that he always seems to be able to get pressure through the interior. He's, he can start out on the edge, uh, like close to where the defensive ends would be. He comes inside on either the guard or the tackle, and he always gets through the middle. And it just completely disrupts the quarterback's spot, and he has to move off his spot. And it's so crucial to actually, you know, uh, forcing inaccurate passes and stuff like that. So 
yeah, the stats sometimes aren't there, but you could see why he's so uh, adored in like the analytical community, analytics community, and why his metrics are always so high in terms of pressure rate and, and stuff like that. You could just really see. And one of the side effects of of Clowney just being that disruptive and being so efficient with his pressure is Harold Landry doesn't have to be the main guy getting the pressure. And when Harold Landry, Landry has a little bit of help on his side from Clowney, from Simmons, from Daquan Jones, he just looks so much better. And he looks like the guy that you took high and you were expecting to be a double-digit sack guy. Granted, he didn't get a sack in this game, but he was making plays all over the field. He was getting pressure pretty consistently. And I'm really excited to see the kind of season he's going to have uh, next to Clowney. You know, when you think of, because I, I was talking to some people earlier that were saying like, well, you know, this is typically the kind of game the Titans would lose. Like, we've kind of grown used to, under Vrabel, under Malarkey, this is a game the Titans lose. You know, four missed field goals, lots of clunkiness on both sides of the ball, can't get out of their own way for most of the game. They lose, even though it's a close game. Uh, I, I don't know that that's entirely true, because when I think of, like, the clunkiest Titans game of all time. It's probably that Cleveland game where Bayard had the three interceptions and it went to overtime and they won like nine to six. Um, I also think of that a loss, that Arizona game. I don't know. It was, I don't want to dwell on this for very long, but what do you think? Is this a game that we can say the Titans wouldn't normally win this one? This is the Mike Vrabel effect where even if they look bad, they're still going to be able to pull it out and end up on the right side. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I thought they were going to lose this game. I was chalking up a, a loss and I was, I was thinking, well, now we're going to have to beat the Vikings in week three after the Jaguars in week two in order to stay afloat in the AFC. And then somehow they pull this out, even though everything, everything seemed to go against them. The, the Rashawn Evans ejection, uh, all the missed field goals, Dory Jackson being out, Vic Beasley being out, A.J. Brown not looking too good, Tan- Derek Henry not looking too good. Like, they probably should have—I feel like they should have lost this game. But the fact that even with those missed field goals, if they were to hit all those field goals, they would have won this game by double digits. It's just—I yeah, think it's a testament to the talent of this team and the resolve of this team. Because, like you said, this this the Titans don't win that game usually, and I don't know if they even win that game last year, really. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is you know, last year we saw them lose these games. The Bills game last year, oh, the they Bills, had four yeah. missed field goals, and then uh, I believe the Colts game, they had a missed field goal too, didn't they? Um, it, week two. Yeah, that we, the, we probably. Lost by two. I'm looking I mean, at it just by statistical yeah. chance. I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the odds are if they tried it, they missed it. Uh, but yeah, like it, it's one of those things where you can look back and there's almost a one to one parallel where there's situations where the Titans would have won or would have lost. You know, in this exact situation, yeah, Santos was one of two on field goals last year in the Colts game. So this is one of those games where you need everybody around the quarterback and the offense and the defense, you know, whoever's struggling, you need that other side to completely save you where that's not really what happened this week. You know, it was good that Kevin Byard and had the fumble and the Titans scored on it and complimentary football and all that. But 
it never felt like this game was one-sided because the offense moved the ball well. The defense, you know, did their job for the most part, except for, you know, not being great on Noah Fant. But we say everything went against them because it did when it mattered when the points, you know, weren't going up on the board. But at the same time, the Titans never felt, you know, they never looked like they were desperate to make things happen. Like they didn't go engage eight and blitz everybody. They didn't go four wide and throw vertical because they felt like they had to. This is a team that doesn't look like they panicked at any point, even though they had plenty of reason to, because like we just said, all the fans were panicking. Like we were sure that we were going to march down the field and then miss a field goal and lose. And that would be that. So, you know, I don't know if it's maturity. I don't know if it's the makeup of the team. I don't know if it's the coaching staff and kind of the confidence that they exude, whatever it is, whatever mojo the Titans have that make made them win this game when everything seemed to be stacked against them, quote unquote, they did. They've never had it. I guess since Jeff Fisher, like it, it hasn't been a common trait of this team. So it was nice to see. It was nice for us to all think they were going to lose and them actually win a game where they should have won, not a game like Kansas City where we walk in thinking they're going to lose, and then by the time we get in the fourth quarter, we're excited they have a chance. I mean, this is a game where they should have been in control the whole game, and for the most part they were, except, you know, give or take a kicker. But like I say, this is very clearly a game that I would have put money on at any point that the Titans were going to lose. Before we... Well, I dropped my phone. That's what that loud noise was. Before we transition into previewing the Titans' Week 2 opponent, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, I want to talk about Steven Gostkowski because that was probably, we, we've buried the lead a little bit, that was the big story from this game, the fact that Steven Gostkowski, one of the NFL all-time greats at place kicker, uh, one of the most accurate kickers to ever uh, put on a football helmet, missed four kicks, three field goals, and an extra point. He did make the game winner, although it was a 25-yard field goal, and I have friends that can make 25-yard field goals. Uh, what do we think, guys? I mean, last year, four missed kicks got Cairo Santos cut, but... This isn't Cairo Santos. This is one of the all-time greats. Where do the Titans go from here? I mean, I, I certainly have my opinion, but I want to hear y'all's first. Yeah, well, the good thing is he only missed three field goals and not four, so it wasn't totally a Cairo Santos situation. <laughs> That's the silver lining. Uh, it Honestly, before he hit that last one, I was probably I, I was I was ready to cut him. I still, if they do cut him, well, they're not going to. But if they did cut him today, I would be like, okay, like I get it. You don't want to put another situation like this on your hands and possibly lose a game again because of because of the kicking game. That said, if there's anyone who's going to get something like this corrected, it's Goskowski. Like he deserves the benefit of the doubt just because he's done this for what, a decade and a half already? And he's been one of the best field goal kickers in NFL history. And it's not like he's, I mean, he's relatively old, but he's not like 45. Like, this isn't Vinatieri, you know? He's, what, 36, 37 years old. I feel like it doesn't feel like a physical thing. It felt like it was kind of 
well, maybe it was physical. Maybe it was like technique or something like that. But I feel like he can get it corrected. Maybe I'm just an eternal optimist uh, with the kickers. But I feel like he can get it corrected. And I also don't think it's all his fault. Because I know the kickers that we had last year were horrendous. But there's clearly some common denominator there. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's... I don't even know if we have a kicking coach. I don't know who's telling the kickers to do what. Uh, I don't know. Some of the snaps were terrible, by the way. I don't know if you guys noticed. Some of the snaps were really bad. Uh, I think two of them, at least, were low. And Brett Kern had to do a good job of actually getting it to the spot for Guskowski to be able to kick it. I don't know if that had something to do with it. But something is wrong there other than Guskowski's physical or mental issues. Yeah, I heard the announcer say something about it, but I didn't. I didn't actually see it. I, I didn't. I, I kind of tried to avoid those when I was watching it again, just because it was so hard to watch the kicks. But yeah, like I, I think here, which you know, my tone would be completely different if the Titans lost this game. But if you think about it, there's not going to be any situation where he feels more pressure than what he did after missing, not only missing, missing an extra point, then missing two field goals, and then getting one blocked. So even if he thought he was going to be confident in this placement and power behind his kick, he couldn't be confident that they were going to block the guys in front of him. So, you know, to go in and to make a field goal like that, it's not it's not special. It's not like a 50-yard field goal with the Super Bowl in the line or anything like that. But if, if he does that and then you look at his body of work and you can't say, yeah, we're going to stick with him, at what point are you ever going to be sold on a kicker? Because – there's not guys out there who have markedly better careers than he does because he's one of the best kickers of the last decade. Sorry, last two decades. And then, you know, you're thinking it's like, okay, well, if we go out and get somebody, maybe their leg will be stronger. The leg's not the issue. Like he kicked it through the back of the end zone several times on kickoffs. Like it's not a leg strength issue. And it wasn't really a placement issue in that it, it wasn't like hooking on him or anything like that. It was just a little bit off target, you know, from 40 plus yards out. And that's not to say that he was good. He was, he was terrible last night. We all, I think we all understand that, but you know, if he can't get it right, who are you going to bring in that you're more confident in doing it? Because if anybody shouldn't need a kicking coach, it's that guy, you know, if anybody shouldn't need everything to go right around him to make the kicks it should be the guy who's done it in the biggest moments in you know sports history on in super bowls and for bill belichick so uh, to me you just you can't move on from him at least without like one or two bad performances another another thing who are you gonna get who are you gonna get and why do you assume it's gonna be better ryan because as we saw last year it doesn't get better ryan santoso I tell you this, uh, the whoever it was, the Ravens, or I don't think it was the Ravens, whoever had that punter kicker, uh, Ed Bedvick. Yeah, Bedvick, right? he got he got released today, and there's nothing that screams John Robinson more than a punter kicker. So it could be McCann gone and that dude to the practice squad, but obviously no no move like that's been made or anything. But if you're if you're gonna say what's the best version of McCann, it's that guy. Yeah, I, I I do think they need to bring up a guy to the 55, a kicker, just in case this happens again. Not that the I don't, other I don't think McCann's not going to be any better. He stinks. 
No, I, and I don't think I also don't think you can do that just because that's that's about is like say like hey we trust you like and then like to bring it be like but this guy is going to be active don't that's worry true. about him that's true yeah like you can't you can't play mind games with your own kicker so I think you got to <laughs> either be all in for him or not but you're like you can't be like no this is just the kickoff guy don't worry about it when he's like nailing it through the back of the end zone so I, I don't think you can do that. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will preview the Titans versus the Jaguars coming up on Sunday. All right, we are back to preview the Titans' home opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Guys, I think the Jaguars shocked a lot of people this past Sunday beating the Indianapolis Colts. Now, we're not going to get into how the Colts looked or how Phillip Rivers looked. It wasn't good. The Colts did not look good. We'll have plenty of time to discuss the Colts the two times that the Titans play them later on this season. Focusing on the Jaguars, though, they did some nice things, and I think they reminded everyone that though they are not good on paper, they're not talentless. This is not last year's Miami Dolphins team that we all looked at and laughed at and said, who is even remotely good on this team because the Dolphins have talent they have Josh Allen who had 10.5 sacks in 2019 as a rookie they have the rookie cornerback CJ Henderson their first round pick who had a great game on Sunday with an interception and several nice other plays they have Joe Schobert who has been a tackle machine over the last few years DJ Chark who's big and super fast and had over 1,000 receiving yards in 2019, along with 73 catches. It's a, it's not a good team. I almost said that, not paying attention. It's not a good team. But they have g- some good players. And all that to say, this is not a game that you can kind of mail it in and be looking for the Vikings in Week 3. Because though it has been since 2013 that the Jaguars have lost at Nissan Stadium, long time, seven years, it's not automatic. They proved that yesterday against the Colts, who, again, the Colts aren't very good, uh, but you can't overlook this Jaguars team simply because it seems as if they are overtly planning for the future as opposed to this season. Now, you can't ever overlook a divisional opponent. And it could be that this Colts-Jaguars game was just a complete fluke, and the Colts will end up being as good as the media said they were going to be, and the Jaguars will end up being as bad as the media said they were going to be. I don't know, but division games are always weird. I Lucas said this all the time. Uh there's just anything can happen in these games. You have no idea, especially because these opponents know you in and out. They play you twice a year. They just get to see you up close and personal so often. And like you said, the Jaguars have a little bit of talent. And the one thing they have is a decent quarterback, which I know we like to to, to bash on Minshew at times, and he's kind of like a meme. He's a good quarterback. Like, he's not bad at all. He's mobile in the pocket. He can evade pass rushers. He's more of a game manager, but 
he can hit big plays if his receivers get open, and they can because, like you said, Chark is good. Keelan Cole has always had a lot of talent. He just never put it all together. Uh, and now they added LaVisca Chenault, who was one of the best receivers in Colorado history and is kind of like a Cordero Patterson type of player in terms of explosiveness, but he has a little bit more finesse to his wide receiver game. So it's definitely not a team, an offense at least, that you know you're just going to shut out. I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I, I do think they can put up points, uh, especially given all the injuries that the Titans have. I think the Jaguars will be able to move the ball on the defense. I don't know because they still have they still have names like Miles Jack is is a big name. Joe Schober is a big name. C.J. Henderson, Josh Allen, but. But I don't know. I, I I don't know. It's still kind of an unknown to me. I know they played well against the Colts, but I think Philip Rivers stinks. He's kind of over the hill, and I don't think that's a good barometer uh, going into the Titans game. Yeah, you know, I I think part of the reason why we're so surprised the Jaguars won is because. You know, they intentionally, I mean, they look like they're trying to lose games. Like, they traded away talent. They cut Leonard Fournette, even though he wasn't good. Like, there's signs there that they don't want to win games. But that's the problem is when you get these teams like this who are talented and you get a head coach like Marone who, you know, is, you know, has his personality, I guess I'll say, uh, where he's just an inherent jackass. Like, those guys who... They don't. They don't look at the bigger picture. They're there for the here and now, and they want to win, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Like you can't sleep on them, and that's why you get sleeper games, trap games, whatever you want to call them. And that's exactly what happened to the Colts, and thank goodness it happened to the Colts, so it wouldn't happen to the Titans, because you know the Colts had to go to Jacksonville, play them with a new offense. They got out of rhythm. They basically did everything they could to shoot themselves in the foot, and you know. Now they're 0-1. So the Titans' biggest thing they can do to kind of avoid this trap game is to look at the film and understand that Jacksonville won that game last week. So, you know, the Jaguars did the Titans a favor by knocking out the Colts. I don't know if the Colts will be in contention in Week 17 or anything like that. I don't think they will. But at the very least, it wakes the Titans up, and they can't say, okay, that was a tough road game to Denver. Now we come home and everything will be easy because they just saw on paper that that's not necessarily how it's going to go. So Minshew is weirdly good. He's aggra- It's aggravating how... He he move it, it's so hard. It's it's like trying to tackle a ghost, <laughs> except you can also whack the ghost sometimes and it doesn't matter. Like he ended up with a ninety five percent completion percentage. Yeah, I was about to pass. say, you know, he only threw twenty yeah. passes, but he completed nineteen of them. Yeah, and, and the one he didn't was tipped. Like so it's it's like or it got knocked out of the receiver's hands like as it hit his hands. Like I mean, he's accurate, but he'll run around and he'll put himself in weird situations. And, you know, I I don't think he's a starter in the NFL long term, but he's one of those backups, kind of like Tyrod Taylor was, where he's frustrating and how efficient he can be and how he can move his legs to be, you know, hard for a defense to cover. Having said that, the Colts defense does not have the same front four that the Titans do. And the Titans have also seen Gardner Minshew twice in the last two years. Like not that the Colts haven't, but it's not like this is going to be anything new. Uh, I think the Titans beat up Nick Foles so bad the second time when he came in that they put in Gardner Minshew again, but I could be wrong. Maybe they did that later. Like, 
Okay, so, you know, the Titans definitely had the psychological advantage over the Jaguars, especially in Tennessee. So if there's a get-right game for Derrick Henry, it's going to be this one. But, you know, I think it helps the Titans just from a macro level that they're coming off an, a game that they have to feel bad about. And the Jaguars are coming in, you know, and like I said, the Titans aren't sleeping on them. So I, I guess I'm saying all that to say I'm glad this isn't a trap game because if this was a trap game, I could definitely see the Titans dropping because they just hate to be in good situations at the end of the year. The Titans, whatever's in their DNA, they hate to be 2-0. and They hate to be 3-0. and Like, they just refuse to do it even when they play bad teams early. So it, it would be a very Titans-like thing to do to go and barely beat the Broncos and then lose to Jacksonville if Jacksonville came in 0-1. Do we think that A.J. Brown is going to have a repeat performance against C.J. Henderson this week? No. no. C.J. Henderson, Henderson is not about that life. He's He is <laughs> soft. He, like, he, he's just not – like, he his not coming out was before he was even – one of those guys who comes back and make makes business decisions. He's never wanted to play in the run game. That's not that's not the way he's built. He's built to play that kind of finesse, like way more than Jalen Ramsey. Like Jalen Ramsey's got dog in him. Like Henderson is is a good cover corner, but he's more of a guy who you don't want stuck on your Ty Hilton because he can run with him, and that's so annoying. Like it, it's he's not a guy who's gonna. He's not gonna physically man you up. No, like they'll the Titans will probably try to find a way to put Corey Davis on him, and then they'll just run it that way, and he will be a non-factor. Um, I was gonna say, go like C.J. Henderson is fine against soft receivers. T. Y. Hilton soft, Paris Campbell soft. But is it A.J. Brown Michael. a physical receiver? He well, when he has know, the ball in his hands. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. Is it's like he's not he's not somebody who's going to nuke Hopkins. He's not going to go up push off and then jump up and make the play. But if they run him on a crossing route, which the Titans did none of because the Broncos brought so much pressure consistently, like if the Titans can get them to bite on the run game or get any step at all for AJ Brown and lead him, there's no way Henderson's going to take him down one-on-one. Like I would almost guarantee that Henderson's going to get stiff armed by either Derrick Henry, AJ Brown or Corey Davis by the end of the game. This we've seen this before. Like, granted, there are some new faces on the Jaguars' defense. They don't like tackling. They have never liked tackling, and that's why Derrick Henry has just completely run crazy on on them over the past two years. So, I don't know. I feel like this is a get-right spot for AJ Brown and for Derrick Henry. It should be. If it's not, uh, I'd be a little concerned going forward. <laughs> you know. Yeah. As, I mean, as I, go ahead, Will. Well, I was just going to say, like, it's one of those things where I don't remember how many times that A.J. Brown just disappeared. You know, not that he disappeared this game. That is, uh, we're being a little bit harsh on him because he did have a better second half than his first half. Like, yeah, I think he ended up with, uh, like, almost 40 yards or 50 yards, and he had a pass interference on a call where he would have gotten another, like, 10 or 15 yards. So, like, it's not like he disappeared. But I can't remember, let's see, I'm looking at his box scores now. There has not been a game where he's had less than 50 yards and hasn't had 100 yards the next game So since Tannehill's been quarterback. So it was 17 yards versus Kansas City, 135 versus Jacksonville, 45 versus Indianapolis, 153 versus Oakland, 100 
114 versus Houston, 34 against New Orleans, 124 against Houston. So he doesn't have bad back-to-back games with Tannehill. Yeah, just quickly, uh, since we're on the topic of receivers, can we uh, maybe run a deep play every now and then? I mean, I know the pass blocking was giving. Was that next? Was that coming next? I I was on the phone with a friend earlier, and I just said last night we watched the Mike Malarkey Titans. It was everything was so short. We were we were running at a bunch of formations. It was so weird, man, because Arthur Smith hasn't generally really played like that. There wasn't a single deep shot, right? Not a single one. No, but a lot of that's because Derrick Henry, and I mean, this sounds like you're blaming your best player, but like Derrick Henry was not commanding the respect of the defense. So if they, if the Titans ran naked boot, there was a backside defender who just was free. And that's because they didn't have a guy in the box. So mm-hmm. that guy, instead of staying and make sure he contains on the outside is just freelancing towards the quarterback. And Derrick Henry, I think he had two cutbacks that went over 10 yards, but he never really punished him for that like he has other teams. And so until he does that, none of this offense works. Like if he until the team says, okay, we have to stop Derrick Henry, then the Titans can say, okay, now we can play action and hit some deep stuff. But they're not a team that wants to drop into a seven-step drop and then throw a deep ball to Khalif Raymond when everybody's looking. Like they they want to beat you up until you have to be stupid. And once you call stupid play on defense, they want to pay for it. So – you didn't get a lot of that cool Tannehill in space making decisions on whether he wants to throw it short or meet intermediate or long because there was a guy in his face every time. And so that's not really a fault of the offensive line because the, you're not assigning somebody there because their responsibility should take them inside. And if it doesn't, your running back should be able to make the play and cut back, but it, it just wasn't there for him all game. So you have to hope that the deep shot and the running game are interconnected because that's basically what we've seen Arthur Smith's whole tenure. But yeah, they, they, they definitely made a conscious decision to say they're trying to give us the seven to 10 yard area of the field. We need to take advantage of it. Let's throw these little dump offs to Adam Humphreys who shout out Adam Humphreys for his huge game. But like, that they decided that if we're going to lose, it's going to be because Adam Humphreys pulls and dimes us and Tannehill doesn't make a mistake. And that is what happened. But, you know, that was just kind of what the Broncos defense decided to do. Yeah. Broncos defense is really good, by the way. Yeah, they are incredibly well coached. I mean, like they did not miss a tackle. I mean, they were very good. As I was, uh, preparing and and studying the Jaguars this morning, I came across a stat that I thought you guys would like. So Taven Bryan plays 77% (laughs) of the snaps on on Sunday. Do you know how many tackles he registered? I'm looking at the stats. It's zero. Six, right? (laughs) He wasn't even on the box score, guys. You love to see it. He's, he's so bad, man. He's so bad. He does absolutely nothing. I don't now, know if we're going to start casting rocks or casting stones <laughs> with our first round pick this year. Maybe this is not the year for us to fight the battle. They were both 29, right? Pick 29. That man, might be right. That pick might, might be cursed. You hate to see it. Um, I do want to mention one other Jaguars player. Uh, and, and if y'all have some you want to mention, feel free after this. But uh, James Robinson, the running back, 
known to some as JR2K because he ran for 1,900 yards his senior year at Illinois State. This guy was an undrafted free agent that the Jaguars brought in. I was reading about him in Dane Brugler's draft guide today, and Brugler had him pegged as like a late fourth, early fifth round pick. So maybe a little surprising that he went undrafted. Uh, He played pretty well. He had 90 yards from scrimmage in week one. But this guy is their Fournette replacement. He played 68% of the snaps on Sunday with Chris Thompson playing uh, the remainder of those snaps. Uh, He's a tough runner. He's got some drive to him. He drives his legs. He's got good vision, and he's got good lateral quickness, though he's not the fastest guy in the world. Um, I, I think that... You have to stop him and make sure you don't give up any chunk plays uh, as being one of the keys to the game this week, probably. I don't really know much about him, so I can't, I can't comment too much. I, I do know a lot of like draft people did like him as a potential like late-round steal. So, I mean, we'll see what he could do. Uh, three, 60, 62 yards on 60 carries isn't great. But the Colts do have a pretty stout front seven. So uh, first first game in the NFL is actually not too bad. He did have another catch for 28 yards. So we'll see what he could do. I'm actually more concerned about their other running back, the one you mentioned, Chris Thompson, because the Titans always seem to put themselves in really bad situations when players go out into the flats, usually off play action or, or a bootleg or something like that. Uh, we saw it yesterday with Fant. He, he was just consistently open in the flats. I don't know why. This has seemed to be a Titans problem for a really long time, and I don't know if it had something to do with Rashawn Evans being out, uh, at least yesterday. But this feels like a game where Tom's going to be – they're going to give the ball to him in space, and there are going to be pockets for him to actually you know, do some damage. So We'll see what they do. I've always liked Dre Gruden. I, I think he's a really smart offensive coordinator. So the Titans defense really shouldn't take this lightly, especially uh, them having uh, an offensive coordinator like Jay Gruden. He can definitely draw up a pretty good game plan to to hurt your defense. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like you said, I don't really have any individual players, but – I do think we need to talk about Gruden and it is good that the Titans know Gruden. Like there's, there's a difference in knowing what he's going to call and then seeing him call it. But once you see him call it, you can kind of figure out, okay, based off of just one game, it does look like they like to use this guy the way they've used him in the past. And also it helps that uh, Will Compton was with Washington for so long when Gruden was there. And he's the guy who they talked to, uh, the last time the Titans played Washington where they he supposedly sat down and broke down the film and said this is what they like to do here because he was not only I think he was the not only the offensive coordinator but the head coach too and over Compton when he was there so I don't know how much advantage that gives them in this particular matchup so many years down the road but at the very least they're familiar with what Gruden likes to call what he likes to do and you can see it, and you actually have film to look at and say, okay, well, we thought Imani Hooker was going to be able to help with that. He obviously can't, so let's not try to do that this week because that didn't work at all for us last week. So hopefully they can adjust to what they saw from themselves and sort of copy what they know about Gruden's offense and kind of make the defense look better than it was, you know, 
against Fant, which we should also, and I keep saying this in my head and not saying that loud, we should also give credit to Fant. He is a freak athlete, and he was, you know, one of those guys that came out that everybody's like, this is the tight end you should draft if you draft a guy in the first round. And he, he's a really good player, so it's not like they got beat by some jabroni in space. Like, he is a pretty athletic guy who's big. So, I don't know, may, maybe the Jaguars don't have a guy like that in the flats. Yeah. Guys, Tyler Eifert is not is not doing the same thing. No offense, right. is doing so. Yeah, yeah. It's time for stop the nonsense. Week one, stop the nonsense. Who would like to go first? I can go first. Uh, so my stop the nonsense comes from uh, the Titans organization. So uh, last night in the game. The, the Titans played, and again, this is no shade towards Will Compton or uh, not even really shade towards uh, Rashawn Evans, who got suspended. But the problem I have is the Titans last year made the decision to trust David Long in the most important game of the year which was the Ravens game. He played exceptionally well. He was the key to that defense when it was on fourth down. I think he made a tackle for loss and had one play where he, I want to say, shut down a hole and grabbed Lamar Jackson's leg. That doesn't matter. But my stop the nonsense is, for some reason, that has not been clarified. There's been no injury report. Nothing that suggests that he shouldn't be the first guy in when Rashawn Evans gets kicked out. But for some reason, David Long didn't play until the third quarter. He comes in, gets a tackle for loss, and then we don't see him again for the rest of the night. He played less snaps on defense than Rashawn Evans played, and Rashawn Evans got kicked out before the first quarter ended. In the biggest and most literal stop-the-nonsense segments I can have, there's no reason this should happen. It is nonsense to not put your best player out there. I don't know what the Titans' defense was trying to do, and – Maybe they're trying to match the Titans' offense and trying to be too cute and not doing what you're known for doing. Put your best guys on the field. Stop messing around. Stop trying to see what else you can get out of Will Compton and Zubnar, or however you pronounce his name. The guy who should be out there is David Long, and it is infuriating and is absolute nonsense that he wasn't given the first shot. This isn't anything against Compton. This isn't anything against Zubnar. They've got their role. They can be red zone guys. But in the open field... You are getting killed if you do that again. So stop that nonsense. Uh, Zubnar had a huge goal line stop, so <laughs> I will not take the slander. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll go next. So my stop the nonsense is LSU coach Ed Orgeron. I know everyone loves him, but, man, he revealed some information today, and he just— Not a fan. Not a fan of what he said. So he says that most of the LSU team has already contracted coronavirus. Quote, not all of our players, but most of our players have caught it. I think that hopefully they won't catch it again, and hopefully they're not out for games. Man, I just, I can't with this. I I, I can't. This entire situation putting all of these college players who are not making any money at risk. I know they have their own liberties to do what they want, but this entire situation is just insane to me. Uh, The entire college, even universities, kids going back to school 
uh, and then them having to shut down the schools because there are already outbreaks. This entire situation is insane to me. Uh, the same doesn't apply for the NFL because the NFL is magical and they will not get any new cases. And even if they do, they're just going to sweep them under the rug anyway. But in terms of college, I just I find it asinine for them to be doing what they're doing. And for some of these coaches to be so tone deaf is baffling to me. But at the same time, it's in line with, uh, you know, college coaches as they have been for the past century. Here's mine. Dan McNeil who is a radio host of Chicago's 670 The Score. I should say was, because he was fired today. Because of this. So last night, Maria Taylor, who is a uh, sideline reporter for ESPN's college games, did the first Monday night football game, the one before the Titans played, between the Steelers and the Giants. Because... Taylor is usually a part of the Kirk Herbstreet, Chris Fowler crew because Taylor is good at her job and she does the ESPN marquee college game of the week every week. So because her crew got moved to the NFL for one week, she got moved to the NFL for one week. And I didn't watch this game, but I did see her interview at the end of the game with Ben Roethlisberger. I didn't notice anything or think of anything. Well, Dan McNeil, this radio host from Chicago, tweets a picture of Marie Taylor, Maria Taylor from last night and says, NFL sideline reporter or a host for the AVN annual awards presentation? If you don't know what AVN is, like I didn't, apparently it is an awards show. It is the equivalent of the Oscars for the pornographic film industry. And Dan McNeil thought that it was appropriate to treat a, treat a picture of Maria Taylor, uh, who, I don't know, she's, it's like a black leather outfit. It doesn't look that bad to me. And says, NFL it, sideline just, It just looks like a regular outfit, by the way. Yeah, it's like I'm looking crazy. at it it's right now. It's such a crazy thing. Or host for the AVN annual awards presentation. Now, I'm not a big fan of cancel culture because I think there's some ethical issues involved with us getting our pitchforks and torches and wanting everybody fired when they make a mistake. So I, I'm not going to comment on whether he should have been fired or whether that was a decision, I w whether that was the right decision. I will say this. How bizarre. Like, what a weird thing to think. And then what a weird thing to, like, think that it is appropriate or cool to put that on Twitter. How so weird, man? Like, I, I, bizarre, bizarre and bad, just bad all around. <laughs> yeah, it's weird judgment. Like, it, you know, it's it's too easy to say, you know, like he was drinking or whatever. But that's one of those situations where it wasn't like it wasn't funny. There was just no like context Isaiah in Wilson. it. It's not. Yeah, God, and it's like there, you know, there wasn't a meme going around or anything. Like that. It's not. It's not like he like got caught saying something by accident that he didn't understand. It was, he took something where she just, I mean, she just looked like a per, like, a person. It, you know, and I'm not trying to say like, 
yeah, I'm not trying to say like, <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't see gender and I don't see like racing. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, this is an outfit you would see on, I mean, like 90% of women at a decent restaurant on a Tuesday. Like it's not, it's not like she was dressed up like extravagant or anything like that. She was just wearing a regular, it was very, very weird in that I don't understand why he thought this is such a funny comment. I'm not just going to like text that to my friend or something. I'm going to put it on Twitter because people are going to love it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it was, so, it was so, or like, or even get it. Like it wasn't, it, it was just so strange. Very weird. Well, that that's going to do it for uh, this episode. The Titans play the Jaguars at home on Sunday. We'll be back to recap that game and then preview the next one against the Vikings next Wednesday. Thank you everybody for listening. For Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.